Toto, uh, BBC Fano. Uh, very warm welcome to you this evening. Welcome along. It's uh, great to have you with us. My name is Rob Stacey, and uh, it's my blessing tonight to bring you the last in our series uh, from Isaiah, Hope in the Darkness. Uh, I don't know uh, about you, but this morning, Bree had a renter crowd. And uh, I, I don't have a renter crowd tonight. Um, there's one or two at the back running all the systems, but uh, I kind of hoped that one day, one day I might be able to have a, a series of buttons up here so that when, when I tell a really good joke, I can, I can push that button and, and the crowd goes wild. A bit like last night with the rugby, if you were watching the rugby and had those strange um, faux crowd noises, um, you can imagine it right here in front of you. Um, I want to add my blessing to those who uh, today uh, were uh, um, encouraged by their families uh, for Father's Day. Um, my warmest blessing to you. I know that probably farmers ran out of socks and undies because, you know, that's the kind of standard gift that dad gets on Father's Day. Um, if you did something more than that for dad, what a blessing. So good, so good. Um, I just want to quickly uh, promote next week. We start a new series here online. Hopefully one of the last weeks we have to do this online uh, together. But our very own Monica will be starting our series uh, called Things Jesus Never Said. So tune in next Sunday night uh, to get a hold of that. It's going to be a good time. Well, we're super blessed over this period of time to have uh, so many great communicators. Uh, we have a resource here as a church, which um, is not like others. And so I just want to thank people like Dr. John, Colin from out at Golden Sands, our very own Monica, our, our youth pastor, Dan, for contributing to the series. Uh, it's been great. And I know um, each of us have got a little something more out of it. They've been challenging and inspiring. Uh, one of the great ironies that I've found about this series is how we're talking about God's people transitioning in and out of exile. And I know some of us are feeling that at the moment, we're transitioning in and out of exile at the moment. And uh, we look forward to being back together here in, in the room. But uh, tonight, I'm just glad that you are with us. Well, this, this motif that we've been looking at, uh, and I just want to give that a little bit of background. We've, we've gone through the, the, the book of Isaiah to chapter 39, and uh, we've jumped into these eight or nine uh, chapters that are just filled with hope. And even over these last few weeks, you would have seen that, that there's this kind of cyclic pattern that the, the people of God are, are working through. And uh, it's, it's kind of pull your hair out kind of stuff. But I think... Uh, it becomes pretty clear as we've journeyed along through these texts just how normal the people of God are. Now, that sounds kind of crazy, but uh, when I look in from the outside, from our 21st century uh, world into Isaiah's context, and we do this a lot with the Old Testament, we look in a little proud. I remember one of my lecturers at, at um, college saying to me, that's what we call chronological snobbery. We look in as if we've got it all together. And I can, I can remember us having a bit of a laugh this week about the people of God when they were assembled at the base of Mount Sinai and, and Moses goes up and, and he's receiving the Ten Commandments. And within about a week of him being up there in the smoke, you know, you know what's going on up there. There's lightning, there's all sorts of things. And down at the base, the people of God have got bored and so they start fashioning their own idols. And I sit there and I think, oh, this is hilarious. What a bunch of idiots. But actually, we're not too dissimilar. And we've heard a little bit about that over the last 
couple of weeks. At least we're not like that. I, I, I think that's a kind of a, a chronological snobbery statement. But here we are in the 21st century uh, cut off for however many weeks it's going to be, and we're hoping it's, it's just one more. And we're given the duty as a nation to live responsibly with the freedom we have. And I, I steal that line from right back when we did our worship night. We're, we're given this responsibility to live very well within that freedom. And yet this week, as I'm walking around and I'm entering shops and businesses in our local area, uh, I see this slow ebbing away of tolerance, of, of caution, and people um, following me into the shop and not taking their, um, the photo of the app or you know, grab, grabbing, grabbing their information onto those bits of paper. We've kind of got over it. And in some ways, that, that, that's a little bit of a picture of where we're going tonight. The people of God, very quickly like us, actually forget about the responsibilities we have with our freedom. And, uh, and, we, and we drift away, and we've heard those over the couple of weeks into idol worship and so forth. And that's why I say that we aren't that much different in our response to the freedoms that are offered to us. We've heard over these past few weeks how we too grasp for control in the midst of chaos, how idolatry just digs its talons deep into our lives in a, in a blink of an eye. And yet hope is the expectation of good things, things that God will do, good news to broken people, as we heard. And tonight we come to the last passage in this series, and it, and it is the, the second of the servant songs. You might remember Dr. John doing the first of those back in week two in chapter 42. Uh, I, love, I love the picture that comes out of this. There's four of these songs that are spread out through the second half of Isaiah, the more hopeful half of Isaiah. And the four of them outline the life and the mission of the one who is yet to come, the Messiah. And we stand on this side of history after the Messiah has proclaimed and, and come, has been who was proclaimed and has come and fulfilled the words of Isaiah. And we read them very differently in this century as they would have heard them in the first time that they were read way back then, 500 years before even Jesus was born. But we could stand on this side of history with no less reverence and humility for the prophet's words, because the hope that is held out to Israel, God's people, is no less powerful today as it was then. See, looking out into an uncertain future, much like us, one that is yet to be. We're not sure where we will be in a year's time or two years' time. In fact, I've heard some people talk about us living in what's called the pandemic era. Wow, what does that mean? It means we are still the people of God living within an era where God is still active and involved in community. But we are equipped and we are prepared for any eventuation that is to come. That, I think, is part of the hope that's held out in our passage we're going to be looking at tonight. And so I uh, tonight wanted to steal uh, Dr. John's words and uh, call this sermon tonight that 
being called into what is yet to be. Being called into what is yet to be. Let me open with prayer. Our Lord, we come, as I said in the first uh, sermon on this series, we come hungry and we come humbly with the desire to be more holy. Words which Monica shared with us way back in our Corinthian series. May your words be illuminated in our hearts and stir us by your powerful spirit. May Jesus be revealed afresh to us tonight for your glory in the church, Lord, and all the earth and all the people said, Amen. Amen. So uh, let me read to you from chapter 49 tonight, and you can follow along on the screen with me. I'm going to pause at different places, but uh, just follow along with me. Verse 1. Listen to me, you islands. Wow, prophetic. Hear this, you distant nations, New Zealand. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me within his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant. Israel, in whom I display my splendor. And the, the prophet here is talking, yes, about Israel. He's reflecting on his own journey with God. Isaiah is thinking about where he's at. And verse 4, But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, to gather Israel to himself. He's talking about a people group. You know, it's like saying, May God bring back Natiparo. May God bring back Napui. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. In verse 6, he says, It is too um, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, to bring back those of Israel I have kept. And then this beautiful line, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. I wonder, have you ever felt, and this may be a, the wrong word in this season, but have you ever felt kind of groomed for a purpose? You see, Isaiah did. And he had a, a picture of what spoke prophetically to God's people for all generations. This isn't just a word given to them for a specific time. This is a word that has an enduring, eternal aspect to it. I remember the words when I hear um, from my mother's wombs, uh, I think of Psalm 139, where, the, where David, the, the psalmist, he's, he's wrestling with what it means to be known before time and during what God is doing amongst them. He says, For you created my innermost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Outside of that, I praise you because you fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you, when I was made in the secret place. 
I love these words from verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. There is this distinct call. There's this intent for God's people, Israel, and I think for us today. And in these verses tonight, I want to just focus on, on two key things. The first of them is that there is this call of God's people to his mission. And, and you hear in these words just what Isaiah was saying there. It's, it's about him. He sees himself as, as the one that is speaking, as the, as the quiver, um, the arrow in the quiver that God has. But he also speaks about the people of Israel being that same thing. But the second part of it is that God provides for mission. There is this picture within this that we may not see that hopefully will emerge for you tonight. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a few iconic people in history at the moment. I've chosen recent people um, who, for me, um, well, they were, they were prepared for a certain task. Okay, This guy is one of them. I think about Usain Bolt, and I just think, the Lord weaved together in, in his mother's womb the specific genetics to run fast. I mean, when you watch this guy in the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, he wasn't just ahead of people. He was miles ahead of people. And, and no one's come close to that time yet. I mean, 9.5 seconds. Unbelievable. And you think to yourself, this guy, this guy was prepared for a purpose. Um, I hate to come to second place to him. <laughs> but here's, here's a second person you may know. Uh, his name is um, Hafthor Bjornsson. He's Icelandic. He's six foot eight inches tall and weighs 205 kilos. Uh, you might know him as uh, uh, Gregor Clegane from Game of Thrones. He was the mountain, and doesn't he look like a mountain? That's actually his wife in the picture next to him. And she's a pretty normal height, five foot, whatever it is, lady. Um, he is massive. And I think to myself, good grief. <laughs> there is only one purpose for this man. He was never going to be a part of the Icelandic ballet company, was he? He was never going to be that guy. He was, he was created for a purpose, being massive. <laughs> he holds three strongest men titles all at the same time. He's the first one to ever do it, the world's strongest man, the Arnold Schwarzenegger one. This guy is phenomenal. I mean, look at him. And uh, if you Google pictures of him, you just, he just dwarfs everyone he's around. Why do I show you this? Well, surely these guys were, were made for this. When you look at them, when you see their physique, you see what they do for their, um, for their work and with their lives, you might even say they were called to it. They were called to it from, from the womb. <laughs> there, is this, there is some serious genetics involved here, of course. Now, Isaiah has this amazing knack of stripping back God's people with his words to bring perspective for them. Before you were, I called you, Israel. Before you were, 
God called you from the womb. He knows you intimately. And there is this beautiful sense of call that's being made over God's people by Isaiah, the servant. You are called the servant. And to recognize or accept that call, to kind of lean into God for his uh, provision, uh, to proclaim his promise. This is the thing that he's calling out from Isaiah, but he's also calling of us. It can be a little overwhelming, possibly as overwhelming as standing next to one of those giants of our history. None of which has anything to do with genetics. None of which has anything to do with our family or, or country of origin where you were born, what you were born into. God's call supersedes all of those things. I knew you from your mother's womb. And this is a picture for me of God's mission to humanity and the hope and promise of what is yet to be. He's calling us out. A few years back now, I was sitting at the commissioning service of um, some friends of mine who were going to India to be missionaries. Uh, Paul and Sarah, and the great Brian Smith was there. And he, he came in and he had a single piece of paper like this. And it was one of the most profound sermons I've, I've ever seen um, and ever heard. And I remember it to this day. And he, he held up a piece of paper like this and it had this picture on it. Two arrows. Now, I've, I've put two sets of arrows up there to try and explain this, but he had the arrows on a single piece of A4 and he stood in front of the congregation and he just held them. And he spoke about the Hindu culture into which Paul and Sarah were going. And he, and he held them up and he said, look, there is within Hindu culture, this understanding of who God is. And basically the solid upward arrow was the Hindu culture. So the solid upward arrow is Hindus do for God so that they might get something in return. And, and I, I think I might have talked about this last week, how you know, every corner you go past, there's, there's some little idol with, with flowers on or food. And, and Dan talked about it last week where he had this list of idols. And here, take this. And I've, I've been to um, Papua New Guinea where the same kind of thing is possible. You go to the witch doctor and he gives you some magic juice you put on your, on your lawn and hopefully it grows. Um, all of this to say that that is how people perceived God to work. And then Brian just basically turned the paper up the other way. And he says, you know what? The solid line is actually for Christianity, what God did for us. It was God's initiative to come to us. And everything we do in terms of faithfulness and obedience is something that we give back to something that has already been done. God's initiative for us in this world, in this life. These two arrows are just the simplest and most beautiful representation of what faith is all about in community. We do, we appease, no, 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 different. For us, the profound truth of Christianity is simply that it was God's initiative and our lives are lived in response. And this is what Isaiah is saying. Our response to the kindness and the goodness that God does and gives in return. It was one of the most life-changing truths and profound scriptures for me at that time. 
And you see, Isaiah in this passage is illuminating this fact again for Israel. You are living, Israel, the people of God, us today. You are living in response to what God has already initiated and done. But now also we live into what he will do. Okay? We are living into what he will do. The things that are yet to come that we don't know about. We are called into what is yet to be by a God who is always known and by a God who is always acted. So I just want to take a minute to help you to understand a little bit because I think we lose focus when we talk about missionaries. You see, for most of us, about 99% of us watching this tonight uh, going on reliable uh, statistics from, from the Baptist stud book, uh, we will not be leaving these shores to serve in what is regarded as a missionary role overseas. About 99% of us. Now, I know that this might sound a little bit strange, but um, this is actually something I want you to grasp tonight. 99% of us won't be leaving, but we are no less called to do the work of a missionary here and now. Under similar pressures, sure, might be a bit different, I don't know. You see, when my wife's parents left our shores um, and went to serve a local community in Papua New Guinea, uh, they, they packed up their three kids at the time and their six suitcases and they headed off in anticipation of who knows, they ended up living in a pretty much a thatched hut with no power, no running water. Uh, they had to build an oven. They had to prepare themselves to, to, to be in that space, of course. But they went there vulnerable. But knowing that God's provision for mission was going to be there for them. That the God who, who sent them, who called them to be a servant just like Isaiah, was going to be there and be working already amongst the community. They had a small crate with some of their belongings that turned up later. And I, I often hear about missionaries who, who actually left for um, whichever distant shores they were headed to with a coffin with their belongings in it to show their faithfulness to the place and the people they were going to. It sounds pretty scary, but that was the commitment that was being called of those to leave our shores. I want to challenge you tonight that I don't think that we have any lesser call as the people of God here and now in this place. Here in Tauranga in 2020, the same is being expected of us as servants of God in his mission field. I've always been in awe uh, of those who have been able to leave everything Leave behind all that uh, may be valued and loved to be obedient and faithful to God. Missionaries were called into what was yet to be. They turn up and be God's people there and transformation happens because of God's provision for the mission that he set. To be God's people. The outcomes were uncertain. Our outcomes are uncertain. They are called to be people who might be just planters and never harvesters. And I know for, for Deb's parents, as they went away and they did what they did, they came back not knowing what good happened there. 
other than what God was doing at that moment. Today, you know, I went, I went back there with Deb's dad a little while ago and could see how the initial mission that started there has transformed the community, can transform that society. Hospitals are being built. The way that they set up their villages has, has created greater health because of sanitation and all these kinds of things. We are called into partnership on projects that are yet to be realized. And we sit in that same tension as those who heard those words back with Isaiah. And often we can be impatient with the results. And, and we read those words from Isaiah where he's like, oh, I don't know if I'm good enough. Yep, even the prophet who sat so regularly with Jesus, uh, with, with God and heard those words still wrestled with his own inadequacy. There is a now aspect to mission and there is a future aspect that we don't know. And we've got to trust God for that and live into it anyway. There is a faith-filled obedience that works to a future where Jesus has already established a victory. And we don't stand in some sort of um, arrogance about that. Jesus has established eternity for us and called us into that. But he's called us to live in the space between. And it's a hard one. And even though things are tough, even though they are wrestling with it, the people of God didn't quite understand it at that moment. So wherever you are, maybe you're in the school PTA. Maybe you're a part of the local garden club. Maybe you're a solo mom that's attending mainly music and, and you're making friendships. God has called you as his missionary, as his servants in those places and spaces. We're called to show integrity. We're called to bring hope in dark places, to transform society through care, through restoring people, through restoring places. You see, the hope in the darkness that Isaiah is talking about, it's brought into the everyday places of our life. Not just on the stage with a camera, but from your home, through those caring words, through your generosity, through your skills that you've gained, through your education. God is going to use that to bless his people and people who do not know him yet. And to close there's three words for me that sum up these passages and they are to do with who Jesus is. And they're the words restored, reconciled, and redeemed. See, I think Isaiah is, is not just describing the task of Isaiah and I don't think he's just describing the task of Israel, his people, He's describing for people the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus Christ has achieved and has called us to live in and through him for. Jesus became a servant to all for the restoration of an estranged world who don't know him. And he's called us into obedience and faithfulness to that task as his missionaries to that place. We are called to be restored. We are called to be reconciled, to live into that redemption that Christ has called us to, but then also be someone who brings restoration. Those who reconcile communities, those who tell others 
about the redemption of Jesus Christ. I want to close with these words, these last two verses that make sense of where we've been tonight. God has called us into this place to be those restored, reconciled, and redeemed. But he also gives us these words. Verse 8. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. Let's pray. Lord, it can be quite overwhelming as the people of God to sit with this truth that that you've called us as your missionaries in whatever place we find ourselves. 99% of us will never go to far-flung lands to be those people. And Lord, there's those out there tonight who are possibly in a dark place and they need the hope of the Messiah to shed some light into their world. I just want to pause, Lord, and, and ask that you would reveal at the moment what you're doing in their life, what you're calling them to as, as people. And Father, ask tonight that your blessing would flow. Lord, that you would bring perspective. Lord, that no matter where they find themselves, they can be people who restore, who reconcile, and share the redemption of Jesus Christ to all. Father, we thank you for your word that Isaiah didn't just talk about himself. He talked about a future Messiah that we know who will continue that restoration process until the end. Tonight, Lord, I, I ask that you would speak truth and life and bring hope where there is none at the moment, that you are a God that is engaged in our society and in our places. And I ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us tonight, church. Uh, Bless you. We'll see you next week here online.